Hello and welcome to the Literally Gagging podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to those books that validate your most immoral Pornhub choices. If listening to two women deep dive into the problems of siblings doing the horizontal monster mash, then this might not be the podcast for you. We're going to do a trigger warning up top today because this book is full of child abuse, rape and incest. Unfortunately, we cannot timestamp the child abuse because it's the entire way through the book, but we will try to timestamp the rape and incest scenes because we are covering flowers in the attic that old teen favorite as ever i am joined by my co-host hannah how are you today hannah i mean i'm as all right as i can be having just spent the last week reading this book i'll be honest other than this i'm absolutely fine it's been an absolute whirlwind this book really hasn't it like Mm. reading it i was like well i'm trapped in my own sort of attic yeah i finished reading it today and as i was reading this bit my friend from work texted me and went like congratulations today is like a hundred days of lockdown and it was like the bit in the book where they were like we'd been in the attic for a hundred days and I was like (laughs) other than this how are you babe so I did a thing this week which nearly meant that we could no longer continue this podcast in our flat the light comes into our bedroom window at 5am very very brightly every single morning Mm -hmm. it's too much for me to handle so I went down to Primark and I got myself an eye mask and it was a gel eye mask so friday night i wake up at about five the light's blinding through it is swelteringly hot i was like cool i'll just go into the living room sleep on the sofa it's nice and cool so a few hours later i wake up and my vision had sort of gone fuzzy like i couldn't see anything properly i saw like blurry outlines of stuff so i started panicking my partner's in the bathroom having a shit and i'm like oh my god can you get out like i need help right now i've gone blind what are you doing (laughs) yeah this is not the time for booing so he comes out and he's like what's wrong and i was like i can't see properly like i genuinely i can't see so he takes me into the kitchen and he's like well your pupils are still dilating in the lights that's fine and he was like, go and wash your eyes and have a shower and calm down and we'll see what's happened. Yeah. So he goes on old Dr. Google. And it turned out you had eye cancer because that's what Dr. <laughs> yeah, Google will tell Google you. always says. So it turns out that if you wear an eye mask that's too heavy or too tight, during the night, it like squishes your corneas a little bit. On Google, it says it, your sight will come back properly in like two and a half hours okay. because it's waiting for your corneas to like back into oh. shape because they're just flattened that's gross and it was the weirdest sensation i was there and i was like i was going to spend all of saturday reading this book and now i can't because i'm blind like how do i tell hannah i can only <laughs> read books on kindle with one letter at a time on the have page. To do only like... audio books from now on <laughs> yeah <laughs> and did it come back in two and a half hours it did yeah it came back pretty oh, on God. the clock so <laughs> exactly so and a half to so no more of that eye mask, I assume. No more of that eye mask. I'm sorry that happened to you. How sad. So you didn't have any optical issues this week? I didn't. What have I done this week? It was my six-year anniversary. Oh, with your imaginary boyfriend. With my imaginary boyfriend. <laughs> um, for the listeners at home. And I don't know why, because as we established on our anniversary, at least one of my friends has met him now. But for some reason, everyone thinks he's not real. We had, had a lovely walk up Rochdale Road to get some delicious vegan takeaway. Ooh. It's called Vegan Shack. If, if you're in Manchester and you want excellent vegan, vegan food. Vegan Shack. 
Yes, it's vegan shack. And um, what are you drinking? This week I've got my favourite beverage back because uh, the cans were reduced. So I've got a Cherry 7-Up and a tequila. Oh, oh yes. yes. Congratulations. Thank you, I'm so happy. She looks so happy. I've not seen her this happy in weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, have, what have you got today, Hannah? Just a gin and tonic. I had like a little tiny bit left in the bottom of a bottle of Bombay Sapphire. So, yes, yeah, so. Are we ready? So this week we have covered Flowers in the Attic by Virginia Andrews or VC Andrews, depending on which side of the pond you're on. This is famously a classic. <laughs> How did you feel about it? What are your thoughts, feelings, opinions? It uh, is very interesting because before doing this, when we were kind of looking at books to do originally, mm. this was one that I think did come up like sexual awakening books, books that people read when they were younger and like... Yeah, it's a bit like Sugar Rush when we covered that. It's got like a reputation for being that kind of book. I feel like when I was telling someone at work about doing the podcast that they mentioned this book and they were like, my mum had it on her shelves. And so when I was a teenager, I just got it and read it and it's really stuck with me. And having read it, I can see why it would stick with you, but not in a sexy way. No, not in a sexy way. When I said to my family I was reading this one, my cousin was like, oh my God, I read that when I was 13 and sort of like scoffed. And I think that was the correct response. Like, <laughs> Having read this at the age of 27, I'm really glad I didn't read it when I was a teenager. I don't think I'd have got past the attic chat. I was so fucking bored of all <laughs> the attic chat. Like I get it, you're trapped in an attic. Cool. I only use this for reference because it's the only other attic story I know. As a kid, I loved The Diary of Anne Frank. I really liked that. And it just feels like Anne Frank, who was an unprofessional teenage writer, wrote better than V.C. Andrews yeah. did. I don't know, she grabbed my attention more. Her prose was like a little bit more enlightening than this was. The book that I was thinking to compare it to, which is kind of on a different thread of it which I did Mm. read as a teenager and really regret A Child Called It oh oh my god yeah famous child abuse book which I don't I I can understand why these books get published but I wish I hadn't read it and I wish I hadn't read it when I was 15 yeah then and that sparked a whole wave of them didn't it like they make fun of it in Gavin and Stacey where they're like oh what are you reading and it's called no mummy no I've just finished I think I'll go to the sequel no daddy no so V see Andrews or Virginia Andrews so the difference is is that she's Virginia Andrews in the UK okay she's VC Andrews in America because it appealed more to a male audience not having a woman's name on it oh great you know the classic JK Rowling thing yeah so her real name is actually Cleo Virginia Andrews and she was born on June 6th in 1923 so she's a classic Gemini as you can tell from this book (laughs) as a teenager she fell from a school stairwell resulting in back injuries then she had surgery to fix those injuries which left her with crippling arthritis so she's had to use a wheelchair for most of her life however she does stand to write that was a thing she was always like i stand to write she kept her life quite mysterious so there's not a lot known about her but as an adult she lived with her mother which is weird considering how she portrays mothers in her stories Mm -hmm. she never married or had kids but considered her books her kids Uh, she died in 1986 of breast cancer but the New York Times obituary at the time was because she said she just kept her age a secret. They said she was either in her late 40s or early 50s. Like, they just didn't know. 
The book itself is about child abuse, children being locked in attic, incest and sex. In an interview she said, a lot of people think I was tortured but my parents didn't do anything. The most terrible things about my childhood were probably that I created in my mind because my childhood was just so ordinary I wanted it to be more exciting. <sighs> it's always the quiet ones. Yeah, I remember in, I think it was in like year five or six, we had to write like a story for class or whatever and I was really obsessed with Jacqueline Wilson. Oh, who wasn't obsessed with Jacqueline Cause, Wilson? Because I was a child in the in the late 90s I was obsessed with Jacqueline <laughs> Wilson and I wrote I mean let's be honest it was a poor rip-off of Dustbin Baby like I'm gonna be oh, I'm gonna be real course. obviously yeah. the teacher like took me to one side and asked me if everything was okay at home <gasps> I guess they have to and yeah and I was like yeah I just really like Jacqueline Wilson honestly I have the most lovely normal nice parents <laughs> I'm clearly just again creating drama for myself because my life's too boring also you asked me to do a creative piece of writing I'm getting creative miss like, yeah I'm getting creative so flowers in the Attic came out in 1979 and was her technically second novel. Her first novel was Gods of Green Mountain, but it wasn't published until 2004 as an ebook. So, for all intents and purposes, we call it first novel. She wrote it in two weeks and it was an instant success. It was banned in a couple of schools in America, but like nowhere near as hyped up as you think it would be. It was mostly Bible Belt. They'll ban anything. And yeah, but they're also very pro-incest, so that's kind of... (laughs) Andrews claims it was based on a true story, so obviously because of her injuries, she was in and out of hospital a lot. And when she was in hospital one time, one of the doctors she fancied said he'd been locked away in the attic for six years to preserve the family wealth. But most people are like... Uh, that's bullshit a lot of people call bullshit on that because i mean like i know that these things do happen as we know yeah or like all this shit does happen but that this man's just like yeah that was me he'd tell an ill child that he'd been abused is it it's a bit weird it's a bit weird i don't believe it because i think there'd be some sort of documentation about it yeah teenage girls around the world swapped copies of this book and read it under the blankets at 3am and they absolutely devoured the i'm going to use air quotes for this one sex scene it was very raunchy for them there are five books in the dollenganger series which is based on this family and they are all just as fucked up as this one i don't think we will ever cover another one of these books on this podcast when andrews died her estate brought on andrew neederman to ghostwrite posthumously so he wrote loads of books after she died i think he's written about 70 books under her name that's mad so there are two film adaptations of this first one is a 1987 adaptation which we were watching clips it last night in bed and it is everything you want from a cheesy ass 80s horror film like it is bad haircuts (laughs) shocks i'm glad they've kind of gone down the horror route though with it because essentially that's what it is it's like it's like a very gothic-y like well she's claimed to be a gothic novelist is what a lot of people class her as with my some experience of gothic literature Mm. from having an english degree it does have a lot of the kind of hallmarks of gothic literature just with like a little bit more incest than i remember studying at uni so i'm glad they've gone down the horror route and not tried to make it like a sort of like sappy lifetime movie about this girl well whatever speaking of that Oh, is that what the other one is? (laughs) Yeah, the second version was done in 2014 by the Lifetime channel. My granny absolutely loved Lifetime movies when we were growing up. And it's always some sort of mistreated woman who got pregnant and ran away or someone who died. Like, they are all disastrous. So they, Lifetime did 
the series. They did four of the books and made them into films. And the mother is played by Heather Graham. And Kathy was played by Kiana Shipka, Mm. aka Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So, yeah. So the book starts off. It's set in 1950s Morocco. They're in Pennsylvania. And it's this traditional family, you know... Chris Senior and Corinne, a mom and dad. Then you've got the four children. You've got Chris Junior, who's fourteen. You've got Kathy, who's twelve, and then twins Corey and Carrie, who are five. And I fucking hate it when families do this sort it's of. It's like shit. the Kardashians. This yeah. is Kardashian shit. Grow it's Card- It's nineteen fifties Kardashian shit. Look, like there are other names out there. Think of other names, and straight away we see that they've got. They think it's loving, I think it's creepy, dynamic. The dad, we learn, travels for work. That's how he makes his money. He's a roaming PR man. And when he comes back every Friday, he says things like, do you love me? For I most certainly love you. Did you miss me? Are you glad I'm home? Did you think about me when I was gone? Every night, did you toss and turn and wish I were beside you, holding you close? For if you didn't, I might want to die. Get in the bin. (laughs) Get in the bin, dad. That's a weird thing to say. The dad is a bit sinister. And I don't know if that's because, like, that kind of American family unit, I think it's sinister anyway. Or I didn't know if it's because I knew this was going to be, like, a sexy book, in inverted commas. And I was like, who's, what, this main character is 12. What is happening? We also went into this book knowing that there was a big incest theme running through it. Whereas if you'd picked this up in the 80s as a teenager, you wouldn't have had the internet to tell you that. So, as we said, they're all blonde hair blue eyes and because their surname is so difficult to say everyone calls them the dresden dolls in the street where they're from because they all look like dolls of each other which is where amanda palmer got the name for the band band. dresden dolls so they are having a surprise birthday party for papa dresden doll when he gets home and they're all dressed to the nines and he never comes home the police knock on the door and he is killed in a car crash boom Straight off the back, Popper is dead. And the mum doesn't know how she's gonna survive. Because all the way through, the mum is really painted. And she says this herself as, like, really useless. And I suppose maybe that is what 50s housewives were like. But she's like, oh, I'm so silly. And your dad does all the money. And I don't know things. I'm such a silly little lady. And I think she tries to use that as an excuse for the things that she does in this book. And I'm like, "Mm, that's not good enough. It's because she wasn't taught. And I guess, so what? She's 33 in the 50s. She was probably growing up in the 30s, early 40s, where women... America wasn't as hit as badly during the war as we were. So... They probably were still living that. Girls don't go to school. They learn French yeah. and how to play the piano and do needlepoint. Whereas I suppose the war was like a turning point for us as a country, wasn't it? Because women had to do mm. shit while all the men weren't here. We learn as well that she is from the upper classes. She's been writing to her estranged parents. And we find out then that she is from this very wealthy family, which her kids didn't know because they only know her as full of secrets mum who sits at home and does the looking after the family while daddy goes to work and then she's kind of like I have these very rich parents that we've never had anything to do with because when I was a teenager 
I did something that really upset them. And so I don't really talk to I them. I fell from grace. I fell from grace. Such a weird phrase, especially to use with your children. It's creepy. But she was like, I've been appealing to them. I've been writing them letters and they're going to help us. And we're going to be rich kids. Like, it's going to be amazing. Like, this is not the end of us. It's going to be fine. It is not fine. <laughs> it's not fine. She makes them pack up two suitcases worth of clothing for all four of them and some toys. So this is all told from Kathy's point of view. Kathy's the narrator. It's all in Kathy's head. And Kathy has this ring that she was given by her dad. And it's because when the twins were being born, she got jealous that her dad might love another daughter more than her. So he bought this ring as a promise to never love another daughter as much as he loves her, which is just so messed up. Americans are fucking weird. Because that's like a whole thing, isn't it? Like there are circles, especially religious circles, where they do yeah. like purity rings, which is a ceremony, you like a marriage to your dad to promise yeah. that you're going to... Oh, so weird. So it's so wrong. weird. So they're going to their grandparents' house, and to do that, they pack the bags and they're getting on this midnight train to Virginia, leaving everything behind. Because as well as we've learned, they got everything on credit, so they're actually really fucking in debt. So they get on this train, and it's three a.m. when they get off, and the conductor's like, "Are you sure you want to get off here? It's literally in the middle of fucking nowhere." And she's like, "Yeah, I know it pretty well. Leave us." So they get off the train and have to go through the hills and I I don't know what Virginia's like. I've got no idea. The mum's like, no, no, someone's coming to collect us, it's fine. Don't worry. And then she's like, no, they're not. Book up, we're walking. Like, <laughs> Wake the twins up. Pick up a toddler each, you're going to be fine. And they finally get to the house where they are ushered in through the back door and like on the way they're dreaming they're like oh my god we're so rich do you think i'll have a maid to like brush my hair every day do you think i'll have a servant do you think there'll be libraries and books for us to read because junior wants to be a doctor that echoes through the hallway chris wants to be a doctor kathy wants to be a ballerina the kids don't really have personalities because they're five and Corey's musical the little girl has nothing going for nothing. her absolutely shit all and the mother says that at some point when they're locked in the attic she's like oh it's gonna be fine we're gonna send chris to medical school and kathy will be a ballerina and Corey can have a music teacher and the other one can have something that she wants <laughs> it's like even virginia andrews got bored right in the fourth kid yeah, and was like you know what too many kids. fine so they walk in they rock up they're let in and they are taken up to this little room at like the end of one of the wings of the house and they're like what's happening are we not kind of being mm. settled into the lap of luxury and the mum says no what we're gonna do is you're gonna stay here just for tonight my dad doesn't like me very much i need to win him back over and rocking up mm. in the middle of the night with four kids isn't the way to do that i'm gonna go away and come back again so he doesn't know i turned up in the middle of the night and then i'm going to throw myself at his mercy he's gonna take me back and then we'll come and get you and then it's gonna be fine and he'll love you because you're all beautiful children and you're all talented. Apart from the little one, but no one cares about her. No one cares about Carrie. And that's the the story they're told, is that they're going to be here for one night while she has to win her dad back over. Because when she was kicked out or whatever, he wrote her out of the will. But she's like, he's dying. And if I can get back in his good graces before he dies, he'll write me back in. We'll be rich. That's the plan. And we also meet the grandmother as mm. she's the one taking them up the stairs. So when they get to the room, there's two double 
double beds in it and they just placed the twins down together on the bed because they're five and they shared a uterus together so it's all good then the granny's like the two elder ones cannot sleep in the same bed as each other and the mum's like oh my god mum gran can you just chill the fuck out like can you stop being weird like it's their kids what are you doing they're just kids and the granny is like that's exactly what your father and i always presumed about you and your half uncle so that's the first time we get this this little we went oh half uncle yeah that's just thrown in there that's a that's a little thing and then they are given this whole book of rules that the granny like it's like a shit Dua Lipa like instead (laughs) of trying to build you up she's trying to tear you down like one reading a cold fat voice she always got to be fully dressed two (laughs) keep going never take their name in vain three never open their drape I'm not even seeing it now (laughs) She's got a big list of rules which are all about modesty and boys and girls can't use the bathroom at the same time and you have to always be fully dressed. You're not allowed to touch your bits when you're washing your bits. You're not allowed to think about the fact that you have bits. You're not allowed to open the curtains. You're not allowed to make a mess. You're not allowed to eat sugar because it'll rot your teeth. You have to read the Bible every day and you have to learn quotes from the Bible so that when she like clicks Mm. her fingers at you, you can just like quote a bit of the Bible at her to prove that you're good, pious children. They have to pray every night. They have to say grace before every meal. If you're religious, that's a thing you're doing it. Like to me, that's really weird. Because I grew up completely heathen. I grew up Catholic and we never said grace before dinners. Although I grew up Catholic, I didn't grow up in a traditionally Catholic household, if that makes... Practicing. I'm going to go with practicing because traditionally, yeah, there were pictures of Jesus everywhere. But we weren't practicing so much. So she's very... She's very strict. Yeah, she's very strict. And she's very obsessed with keeping the two older children apart. And when they're like 12 and 14 and have been here 10 minutes, they're like, don't be so fucking weird. Ew, that's my brother. So Kathy then decides to try and make a game out of it to like keep the younger kids happy and enthralled. And she's like, oh, Christopher, I appoint you the father. And then he goes, and like the whole way through this book, we learn that Christopher is not okay in the head about women. Christopher's a raging misogynist considering the fact that he's 14 years old. Yeah, it's not right. So he says here, wife, as my inferior and my slave, set the table, dish out the food, make ready for your lord and master. Which is so weird. Then, because they're allowed up in the attic after 10 o'clock, once the maids have finished doing their shit below yeah so it gets 10 o'clock the next day and they are straight up there and they find shit everywhere like loads of hidden secrets they've got both yankee and confederate uniforms for the war again we get into how weird christopher gets because they find old victorian dresses and portraits and he's like mama mia kathy if only you could look like this woman and he's like maybe if you get a waist and a bust like this you'd really make a fortune which is a weird thing for your brother to say to you anyway so weird. then i also love that kathy is like um they had corsets on that is unrealistic beauty standards christopher you, you don't <laughs> understand these things it. christopher which to be fair like i think uh, i don't know how i feel about kathy because i feel like she's not she's just like a not very well written character but she has got a bit of sass hiding under there sometimes it feels like virginia just didn't pick a route to go down she kept changing her mind whether she's gonna make her a 
quote-unquote strong women against the sort of less strong women of a mother who's only in it for the money but then she is a 12 year old girl maybe we're putting too much on her one of the things which i really agreed with in one of the reviews that i read because obviously this is supposed to be kathy as an adult telling us about her childhood yeah but it's like she never decided if she was going to be an adult or a child and she doesn't really sound like either like she doesn't sound like a 12 year old girl but she also doesn't sound like an adult being like guess what happened to me when i was 12 yeah Yeah, kathy's a bit shit they're all a bit shit the mum comes up after the next day the little kids are like we don't like it it's really horrible why are we up here and the mum's like can you just not like we're all trying to do our best here let's not so then the youngest girl starts screaming blue murder and the granny's there and granny's like shut that shit bag up they're not shutting the shit bag up <laughs> so granny pulls her up by her hair in like a very matilda-esque it was very trunch bully wasn't it it was very trunch bull. i feel like that's how i saw the grandma through the yeah. whole of this is very trunch bully yeah so she like yanks the little girl up by her hair and the little boy who all the way through is they're like very quiet and he doesn't really say a lot and he kind of like lets his sister do the talking and he even goes for it he's like biting her leg he's yeah. like kicking her like a rabid dog Mm. everyone's screaming then the granny's like to the mum really shut your kids up how i feel in primark most of the time is this gran shut your fucking kids up if you've had them (laughs) you're responsible for keeping them quiet in public then granny sort of is like i know what will get them to stop she's she's like i'll whip the shit out of you and then they all get scared and then she's like go on Corinne to the mum like take off your blouse show them what I did show them what I did ugh the mum takes off her blouse and shows her back she says that she's been given 33 lashes for each year of her life plus an extra 15 for the years that she lived in sin with the dad the kids are like oh woof they do take it on board and then we finally get to learn a segment we'll call How I Met Your Mother (laughs) the mum starts talking about why she got written out of the will it turns out when she was 14 living in the house this young debonair handsome chap who was 17 came to live with them and this man turns out to be her half uncle so what had happened is that her great-grandfather had a second marriage to a much younger woman and then got pregnant and then great-grandfather died and that left the current grandfather in charge and he banished his stepmom and this child from the house and then this kid grows up in poverty. His mum then dies. So out of the goodness of their heart, they invite the grandfather's half-brother back into the house to live with them. And then that's when they fall in love. So Corinne and Christopher Senior were half uncle and half niece yeah and that's the reason that that she's had nothing to do with her parents they didn't approve of the mum and the dad being together because they're related and i feel like the grandma is really painted as like this extreme character but also i can understand why you wouldn't want your daughter marrying a member of the family and the mum's like don't worry kids i'm gonna make it better i'm gonna go to secretarial classes and i'm gonna learn to better myself yeah because the plan is to like worm her way back into the yeah 
will. The mum's like, that might take a little while, so I am going to earn some money in the meantime, and then I can go to the secretary. I'm going to step up. And as soon as I'm earning my own money, we can take you out of this attic and we can be a family again. We can live somewhere smaller but nice. And they say, oh, how long does it take to become a good secretary? And she was like, I don't know, a month? So I texted my mum, who is an EA, and she's been a secretary for a while. Mm -hmm. So I said, Mum, in the podcast I'm reading, one character says it only takes a month to learn how to be a good secretary. On a scale of one to ten, how does this anger you? And she went, depends. In my day, you just had to be pretty and have an amiable personality. But I'd go along with that if you've got any common sense. The rest is just practice and falls into place. We've had a few, we've been here for a few years, and they're still not doing great. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this book is set in the 50s, so all you need to do is be pretty, right? And she went, this is... So my mum, she went, yep. And then let them think they're more clever than you. Guaranteed to get a good pay rise. (laughs) So... So just pretend your boss is smarter than you are. Every time the mum comes back, even after she started secretarial school, she's like got fancy clothes and she keeps bringing the kids really expensive presents and she's going sailing and stuff. And Christopher clearly doesn't want to believe anything bad about their mum. That's like another kind of weird thread is that he's like so devoted to their mum. He's got so many mummy issues. Because Kathy's like, this seems a little bit not right because she said she's going to save up money for us and yet she just keeps buying us things yeah and buying jewelry rather than like saving up for a house we could all live in she buys them so many nice clothes and kathy's like yeah no one's going to see them it's a waste of money but chris is like don't be a bitch she's trying her best she's trying hard leave her alone and like, it's weird she's beautiful she's wonderful she's looks like linda evangelista she's a, she's model. a model yeah he's very much like that so they have this little conversation and she's like what did you think of all that talk about half uncles marrying half nieces and creating children with hooves and tails and horns because obviously the granny's like devil spawn when she brought them in the mum was like look how not deformed they are mum and she was like oh, i'm not convinced <laughs> she's like nah there's a mental thing going up there <laughs> kathy says to chris as a seeker of knowledge and a future doctor is it scientifically possible and he's like no so let's get into a segment. I don't know what I'm calling them segments. They're a one-off. Let's get into incest science. I really hope that incest science won't become a regular segment. I like I've got everything <laughs> crossed and it's not going to be a regular feature. So incest science. I spoke to my science bitches about this and they actually got a notebook and a pen out to do the maths. And I said... Knowing that this book ends up with Kathy and Chris banging. Spoiler alert, that's gonna, I'm sure you'd already guessed that that's gonna happen. They're Fine. Gonna bang. They bang. And I said, what are the chances of Kathy and Chris then having a viable child? Mm-hmm. Because they are. They're already incest kids. Yeah. And then they're banging. My science friends say the misconception is with incest, we assume they're going to come out with a lot of physical and mental disabilities. Mm -hmm. They said that's not necessarily the case. It just means you have a higher percentage of that actually happening. However, with humans in particular, because they were like mice, just bang their brothers and sisters and nothing really seems to happen. There's a study where they've got like 24 generations back in mice and the mice are still doing pretty all right. Okay. But for humans, we just can't do it. And to a point, Charles Darwin 
just sort of takes over or like Jesus and between the two of them they give your uterus a hot bath and some gin and maybe like a knitting needle and they will not let that baby take form okay so it's like most of the time you wouldn't get that far like it just wouldn't it it wouldn't get past the first trimester because again science just goes we cannot have this abomination in the world let's stop it now yeah that makes sense yeah but there's a lot of stories of siblings who have been adopted separately there's one in canada that they were telling me the example of this couple couldn't conceive and they went through all the tests and they were both fine and they didn't know what was happening and the doctor just went have you ever had a genetics test though and they were like no and it turns out that they were brother and sister but had been adopted separately that's some like jerry springer shit isn't it that's crazy and they stayed together so they then grew up in this attic and there is as we said there's so much attic chat we're not even going to go into essentially they are originally told they're going to be in the attic for a night then it's maybe a matter of weeks and then the grandma goes well it's going to be until my husband dies and they're like is it mum you didn't say that and she's like well he's he's quite old there comes a point where they they kind of map out the first year and then they're like and then it was just another couple of years it ended up being about three and a half years didn't it that they were in the attic and through this time they because obviously chris and kathy being 12 and 14 when they first went up into this attic are going through the joys of puberty so growing up in an attic means you're obviously going to go through the same trials and tribulations that all of us go through they do hit puberty the two eldest ones and i do think it makes it worse being in an attic and not having a chat with your friends because you learn a lot in that sense don't you and socialization From being at yeah. school and stuff yeah because that's one of the things that all the way through chris's big hang up is that he's like how am i supposed to be a man at least you've got mum to talk to yeah i don't have dad and i appreciate as I a get that. as a yeah. young man that not having a father figure is a big deal so because he's very medical he knows a lot of the like this stuff he knows that she's gonna get her period before she does so he knows the medical side of things but he obviously doesn't have the social manliness and like kathy keeps getting these crinkly amber hairs as she calls them and she's pulling them out and chris finds her doing it and he's like what are you doing and she's like it's like fighting a losing battle it's just awful and chris is like the hair is supposed to grow where it does so leave it alone and stop thinking about looking childishly neat and begin to think that that hair is sexy and Kathy's like, sexy? Big boobs are sexy. Like, gross hair coming out of my armpits isn't sexy. And they talk as well about, like, she's just very preoccupied in general with her body being very, like, neat. And that female genitalia is very neat and that, that male genitalia is, like, out there. it's all out there and it's all, like, unneat. Because even though the grandma's been like, you must be modest and not look at each other... If you put four children in a room together for three years, someone's going to see something. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And there's a whole bit in terms of genitals where she catches Chris measuring his penis. She walks in and she's like, what were you doing? Like, why does it matter how big it is? And she says in it, she's like, that was the first time I realised that that was important because why would she know that? She's 
14 and she doesn't have the internet also because they're having to change bed sheets for themselves and Corey, the youngest boy wets the bed a lot but she's now noticing these big wet stains on chris's side of the bed and she's like i think you have a problem i think we need to speak to mom we'll take you to a doctor there's something wrong with you and he's like there's not there's nothing wrong with me it's fine leave it because he's having his wet dreams oh and he knows that he knows what that is but she obviously doesn't know and what that he's is. he's the one who also, which I think is creepy, instigates to the mum that Kathy might need the talk, the period talk. And he says, I've already noticed you beginning to develop. That's a sure sign. Ugh, your brother shouldn't be like, oh, cool, my sister's got tits now. Maybe she'll get on the rack. It was weird. It was really weird. And the mum sits her down and tells her, and she's like, and this is what happens, and it'll happen until you're 50. And it's so that one day you can have a baby. And she's like, I'm not having a fucking baby. She literally says, like, well, I'm not going to have a baby, so can I just opt out? And her mum's like, no, unfortunately, unfortunately. She was like, it's fine, mum, you can take these tampons back to the store. I don't need them. I'm not going to have a child. Silly, I'm not going to need them. It's bad enough when you... You are a teenage girl having your first period and kind of not really knowing what it Mm. is and then having to deal with like you're going to be cranky and you're going to be in pain and you're going to have headaches and all this kind of shit. I think sharing a bed with your five-year-old sister and a room with your other two brothers probably doesn't help. As well as this bit about kind of finding the hair and him having wet dreams, there's a bit where she says, I was coming alive, feeling things I hadn't felt before, strange achings and longings, wanting something and not knowing what it was that woke me up at night, pulsating, throbbing, excited, and knowing a man was there with me, doing something I wanted him to complete, and he never did. Always I woke up too soon before I reached those climactic heights I knew he would take me to, if only I wouldn't wake up and spoil it all. And then literally the next bit is Chris's wet dream. So she's she's starting to feel things. She's frothing at the gash for something. And she doesn't understand what it is. And then Chris is like looking at her weird now and it's a little bit unsavoury. On this sort of train, Kathy is realised she's developed in the past two years and she's never seen herself naked. So whilst all the other kids are in the attic, she decides to strip down and look at herself nude in the big mirror that's in the bedroom. She's like, I'm certainly much prettier than when I came here. Even my face, my hair, my legs, much less that curvy body. From side to side, I twisted, keeping my eyes glued to my reflection as I performed ballet positions. She's just loving herself. Like, she is doing her full Lizzo moment. Then Chris, little fucking pervert, is on the stairs watching her. And he's gobsmacked because I should maybe be nicer because he is a 17-year-old boy who's never seen a naked body before. She's like, oh my God, go away, leave me alone. And she tries to grab a dress to like cover herself up. And he's like, don't. I know I shouldn't be, but you look so beautiful. It's like I never saw you before. How did you grow so lovely when I was here all the time? They're sort of staring at each other like maybe this could be the moment is something something? and then bam then grandma comes in grandma's like i caught you you little horny bastards i finally fucking got you (laughs) because like they spend the whole book whenever grandma's like don't be immoral with each other they're like we don't know what you're talking about grandma so i mean they're fucking weird and then she comes in and they're like oh this is what she meant i'm not a grandmother but i imagine if i was a grandmother i wouldn't want my grandkids staring at each other's genitals if i had a choice yeah i'd i'd rather Mm. they didn't do that she gets 
weird. She like shouts them and stuff. And then they're like, we didn't do anything. He just walked in on me by accident. I was changing. And she leaves and they're like, oh. And she comes back with like a massive pair of scissors. And is basically like, stop being so fucking up yourself, looking at yourself in the mirror. I'm going to cut all your hair off. And she gets really upset and is like, whip me instead. Don't cut my hair off. She says, sinners, you think that you look pretty. You think those new young curves are attractive. You like that long golden hair that you brush and brush and curl. She smiled, then the most frightening smile I ever saw. How many times have you allowed your brother to use your body? She's like, what do you mean, use my body? Yeah, she's like, he's not. And I don't know what you mean because I'm a child. There's another bit where, like, Grandma goes on about men. Oh, I highlighted that bit. I was like, it's the only good bit that Grandma did. Yeah. They're painting up in the attic and Kathy comes down with a load of water. She's coming down to get water and she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm getting water for Chris. And she's like, don't wait on a man. Can he not get his own fucking water? And I was like, Grandma got real. Mm. So grandma's always had this sort of like, don't do what a man needs you to do, be your own person. But then grandma's being weird. It's batshit crazy, yeah. Yeah, because then she's like, I'm not going to cut your hair. He's going to cut your hair. And he's like, I'm not cutting her hair off. And she's like, cool, none of you are going to eat until she's got no hair left. Sorry, huns. So they think they can trick her by like cutting a bit of Kathy's fringe and putting her hair in a turban to be like, she's so ashamed to be bald, that that doesn't work. So what Granny does is she fucking sneaks in during the middle of the night and throws tar all over Kathy's hair. But the thing that got me is like, you're gonna need buckets. How come Carrie wasn't affected? Cause tar would She's sleeping in a bed it. next to a five-year-old who is completely unaffected by it. And I quote, it's, I, I don't actually quote, but it's something like the reason she won't cut her hair is because that's what her dad loved most about her. Yeah. And daddy loved the fact that young girls have long hair. Weird. Fucking grim. Really weird. She wakes up and Chris is like, what the fuck happened to you? And she's like, I, I don't know what? what's happened. What? They don't want to scare the little kids. They spend hours trying to wash it out. And the kids are like, what's wrong? And she's like, oh, silly Kathy just got some tar in her hair because they don't want to be like, oh, grandma's a nutter, mate. Stay away from her. But then after that, grandma just doesn't come back for like ages. She starves them out. Yeah, she's having to hoard the food that they do have. They're just drinking water and any food they do have left, they're giving to the little ones. And they're like sleeping a lot. Oh, I'm gonna actually take my headphones off for this bit. And then there's a really grim bit. It says, there was one hazy, unreal day when we lay listless, all four of us, with the only life going on confined to the small box over in the corner, which I think is the mousetrap. Days and tired, I turned my head for no reason at all, just to look at Chris and Corey, and lay without much feeling at all, as I watched Chris take his pocket knife and slash his wrist. He put his bleeding arm to Corey's mouth and made him drink his blood, though Corey protested. Then it was Carrie's turn. The two of them, who wouldn't eat anything lumpy, bumpy, grainy, too stringy, or just plain funny looking, drank of their older brother's blood and stared up at him with dull, wide, accepting eyes. I turned my head away, sickened by what he had to do, and full of admiration that he could do it. He could always solve a difficult problem. And then she refuses to drink his blood because she's like, I'm not going to sap the only energy you've got. And I literally wrote, this book is wild in the margin. I did not see that coming at all. That genuinely triggered me more than Wetlands did. Yeah, it was horrible. Did it make you think, like, as we are both older siblings, 
Would you do that for your sister? Fuck no. No, I don't think I'd do that with my brother. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't... I'm I'm pretty sure my brother's not listening. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure my sister's got better things to do. They are like, okay, fuck this. We need to escape. Well, because they're on the brink of having to eat dead mice when the food starts coming again. Mysteriously, they get these donuts given to them. They've never been allowed sweets before, but they get given these donuts. Whilst they've been doing all of this, it turns out that the mum got married he's called Bart they don't feel cool about the fact that their mum is banging another dude yeah they're very uncomfortable about the fact that their mum's remarrying it has clearly taken her attention off them because she doesn't give a fuck about them anymore so they're planning to escape that's when even Chris starts to become a bit sceptical he starts getting aggy with the mum which I thought was well overdue yeah I mean like come the fuck on they are as Chris is dealing with the fact that he's losing his mother and that he has to go and save the rest of his family and he's also a 17 year old boy who's sexually repressed him and his sister are mucking about one day because she's giving him a haircut because he's like I don't feel manly and she's like I have a way that you could feel like a man and he's like what and she's like you've got long hair horn like it's I'll give it a little trim and then you'll feel more manly the man bun didn't exist back then so and so she gives him a haircut and he's like oh you've done a good job of this then he's like i'll give you a haircut and she's like fuck off it's already damaged from all the tar so they're running around the attic running and chasing each other with scissors and then obviously kathy gets hurt it's like this weird teenage thing of i can see how it's like fun and flirty but also he's your brother and he's carrying scissors so like calm down chris fixes her up because he's an amazing doctor even though that they've got limited medical supplies and he's only got gray's anatomy from like the 1800s and he feels really bad and one of the ways that kathy learns to console people is by copying her mother who used to bring them down and like rest on her breasts as that song goes everyone needs a bosom for a pillow exactly that so she's consoling him that way and then he's sort of using that as free reign and they're talking and she goes I twirled a strand of his hair around my thumb pretending not to notice one of his hands was ever so cautiously stroking my breast because I didn't object he dared to kiss the nipple I jumped, startled, wondering why that should feel so strange, so extraordinarily thrilling. Oh, but your brother shouldn't be kissing it. No. So they do decide they're going to escape, and how they're going to escape is... They are... I don't even know if this is possible. When the mum comes up to visit, they steal a key off the mum. Mum has a key to the room and she's very careless, so she just puts it down. mum's a bit of a dopey mare. She put it down... They nick it, they imprint it in a bar of soap. From that, Chris is able to make a wooden... He whittles a key, a working key out of wood. (laughs) Sorry, I'm very much like, what? I don't think this is humanly possible. I don't, I think it was a bit dramatic. They use this key to go out because they're like, well, mum was always terrible at money. She didn't know how much was in her purse. So they start breaking into the mother's room at night when they know she's not going to be there, stealing money from her and her husband and coming back up the stairs. And he takes Kathy down with him one day and Kathy gets distracted by all the beautiful things and she's trying on like all her mum's clothing and does her makeup and comes out and is like, what do you think? And Chris is like, you look like a whore. So Kathy's taking it all off, putting it back. And when she's putting everything back, she finds a book in her mum's drawer. And she's like, oh, cool, it's a needlepoint book. My mum taught me how to do some needlework. Let me have a look through it. And when she opens it up, she realises it's a false cover. It ain't a needlepoint book. It's full of people 
doing it, doing it, doing it. Her and Chris are just enamoured with this book. They're like, what the fuck is this? What does she say? She says, this book depicted many couples all in one room, all naked and all into each other in one way or another. My hands stole out to slowly turn each page, growing ever more incredulous. So many ways to do it. So many positions. (laughs) And then when they go back to bed that night, she's like, I'm never going to like forget the things I saw in that book. They're like really imprinted on her brain. But because she's been told for so long that sex is evil and wicked by the grand grandmother another part of her goes well all those things we saw in that book result in something as angelic and wonderful as the twins so how can it be bad that's how babies are made and babies are good honestly bab it depends on the position you're in (laughs) as to how good it is (laughs) there are some positions that will not risk twins so then chris gets the cold one day so kathy has to fly solo down there and she goes down there on her todd and unexpectedly the mum's husband is there and he's asleep on the chair and she's like wow mum I can't believe you picked a younger man like shame on you he's so much younger than you are whereas we're like yeah yes cougar queen we love yes we stand that that. Kathy goes up to him and she kisses him she says it came over me all of a sudden the impulse to kiss him just to see if the dark moustache tickled just to know also what a kiss from a stranger who was no blood relation at all. I mean, it is something important that every young girl should learn is what yeah. kissing not your brother is like. <laughs> I'm really glad oh, that she established that because it is important. And then she's like, that was silly and goes running back up and is all flustered. And Chris is like, did you not get any money? And she was like, no, there wasn't, there wasn't any money. Like, I couldn't find money. Uh, we're just not going to talk about that anymore. And the plan is they're going to collect $500. When they've got $500, they'll be able to leave. So then Chris decides to go down again. His mother and Bart, the husband, come back in. So he's in the closet and he overhears this conversation and and then the husband has this talk about how he had a dream last time he was left alone of this blonde-haired, beautiful angel who came down and kissed him. And Chris is like, huh, funny. Sounds like someone I know. So he goes back upstairs and he's like... Uh, you want to explain yourself? He's like, you could have got caught. You could have given us away. The husband thinks it's a dream, but he's like, mum knows that there is a beautiful young blonde haired girl in the house. So you've fucked it, basically. She's just sat there and he is like staring at her and she's like, why is he staring at me? She goes, why? Did I look prettier than usual? Was it the moonlight shining through my airy clothes? And he goes, you look beautiful sitting there like that. I can see the shape of your body through your clothes. And then he grabs her by the shoulders and starts hurting her and is like, damn you, Kathy. You're mine, Kathy, mine. You'll always be mine. No matter who comes into your future, you'll always belong to me. I'll make you mine tonight, now. Okay, so this is the famous sex scene. Very heavily in inverted commas. We fell to the floor, both of us. I tried to fight him off. We wrestled, turning over and over, writhing, silent, a frantic struggle of his strength against mine. It wasn't much of a battle. I had the dancer's legs, he had the biceps, the greater weight and height, and he had much more determination than I had to use something hot, swollen and demanding. So much it stole reasoning and sanity from him. And I loved him. I wanted what he wanted, if he wanted it, that much, right or wrong. 
somehow we ended up on that old mattress and that is where he took me and forced in that swollen rigid male sex part of him that had to be satisfied it drove into my tight and resisting flesh which tore and bled now they had done what we both swore we'd never do now we were doomed through all eternity sinners just as the grandmother had forecast long ago and now i had all the answers now that might be a baby. Yeah. But then it's a whole weird bit afterwards where they're like crying in each other's arms. He hadn't meant to do it and I had never meant to let him. And they're talking about what if they have a baby and he's like, oh, it's probably not a problem. And he says, don't hate me, Kathy. Please don't hate me. I didn't mean to rape you. I swear to God. And she says, you didn't rape me. I could have stopped you if I really wanted to. And it's all so weird and like sad and gross and weird. But, so this is going to sound really bad, but at least he feels guilty. Yeah, he feels real bad about this. Like, I don't think Brock Turner feels guilty. He does not feel one ounce of guilt. Absolutely not. He's just crying because his career and his future got wrecked. Like, that's all he feels guilty about. She seems weirdly okay with it. She does. And even the fact that she was like, if he wants it, then I want it. And that's not great, but it's not her being like, what the fuck's he doing? Get off me. This is awful. This is like the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And he he's always like I'll castrate myself before it happens again he's trying to do period math and be like well it's unlikely that there's gonna be a baby it's just it's really sad and they lie there together just crying into each other's arms they're like well fuck this we really need to escape now this is the breaking point so basically kind of the next big thing that happens is that Corey the little boy gets really ill Kathy like loses her mind a little bit and he's like shouting at the mom and even Chris finally snaps yeah he's like take this kid to hospital now and the grandma's like to be fair we we probably should and when they come back the mum says that he had pneumonia and that it was too late he didn't make it but because obviously no one can know that she's got kids they gave a fake name said it was her nephew he's been buried with a headstone with the wrong name on it and she's kind of like you just all need to get over it a bit like he's he's gone so they're like okay we're gonna do the final heist and this time we're gonna steal all of mum's jewelry so then chris goes downstairs and he is like what the fuck the place has been cleaned out everything has gone he's like ah i'm gonna have to steal something else so then he trapes down the corridor and he's like oh i'm finally coming to the grandfather's room this is it this is everything we've been waiting for i'm gonna run in there i'm gonna tell him i'm the grandson he never wanted but has and he goes in there and he sees the empty beds and he's like oh so he goes to the library two of the servants come into the library he ends up having to like hide behind a sofa or something while these two servants are chatting and banging and banging he finds out the grandma's been dead for like a year which means that at any point in the last year they could have come out given the original circumstances in the grandfather's will it says that corinne the mum will inherit everything as long as she doesn't have children from her first marriage or children from her second marriage so they also find out that the gran is independently wealthy from her own family so the only person who stands to inherit anything is their own mother the mum will lose everything if it turns out she has kids that's the big takeaway they go back up to the room and they they leave they have the key and they go they go to the train station they buy a ticket and they're going to get a greyhound bus across the country and as they're walking around he's kind of telling kathy the story that he heard the grandma had told the servants that the reason that wing of the house couldn't be used was because it had a, a mouse infestation and that's how they'd got away with closing off a whole wing of the house for the kids to live in one of the servants had made a comment about how she was trying to to kill the mice in the attic and putting arsenic 
in the food that she was taking up. And so they're like, oh my God, grandma tried to kill us. That's terrible. That's how Corey died. It was arsenic poisoning, big reveal. And then right at the end, Chris gives this reveal about the will and is like, the only person who would want us dead is our mum. And they get on the bus and they ride off. And that's it. Into their better life, we assume. So I'll do it as a sad, how wet did you get? Are you like the ocean? How wet did you get? Are you like the desert? How wet did you get? Did this book make you come? Literally not a little bit. Not at all. Minus 10 out of 10 for sexiness. Horrible. Not one iota. And maybe as we've said before, like we read this as late 20s women knowing what the story was about yeah i don't really have much more to say on that i feel like my feelings have been covered interestingly i was reading an article because i was like why is this popular so much with teenage girls the book wasn't released as ya fiction it just became ya fiction and this journalist surmised that the reason people the teenage girls loved it it was because a you could legitimately hate your mother yeah makes sense and you don't want to become your mother Mm. and it's all about kathy not wanting to become her mother so that's why it resonates with teenage girls that seems like a very academic nuanced review yeah and speaking of reviews i will admit goodreads went off on this goodreads had a lot of really good reviews and a lot of very long reviews so i'm gonna pick one which kind of weighs up both sides and i'm gonna paraphrase it So Julie gave it three stars. Scientists say that the reasoning part of an adolescent's brain is not fully formed until about the age of 25. In case there are any doubters out there, I would like to offer up this book as the final piece of scientific evidence. When I was 13, I got my hands on this and not only read it multiple times, I read the entire series and read the other series that Miss Andrews wrote. I loved these books. I read them like the pages were crafted from meth and I have long wondered what returning to these (laughs) beloved series would feel like. So this week, I cracked open this first book again. Let me tell you what I feel like rereading them. Horrified. I wondered at the reasoning part of my adolescent brain, had mine been even less developed than those of my peers? Why was I so obsessed with this book? The only thing worse than reading a book about incest is reading a book about incest that has dialogue this atrocious. (laughs) She's like more offended by the fact that it's badly written than about the incest. It was quite badly written. It was. And she says, when I was a a teenager, I would have given this five stars. As an adult, I give it one and therefore will even it out at three. She basically says that a lot of the things about Virginia Andrews' life has maybe let you know the idea of confinement and not being yeah. able to have freedom. The other things that this she says is she had two older brothers and no sisters, and she lived with her parents her entire life. So maybe this is where some of this came from. And she says, I sure wish you could have left your house and gone out for drinks at least one time with an unrelated man, you <laughs> poor thing. Oh my god, that's the best review. Oh my god, that's so good. She was like, Virginia, you're not you're not well, hon. I did think that, like, from reading about Virginia Andrews' background and then reading this book, even though she says it's not based on there's a lot of... I mean, people say that everything you write is autobiography in some way. Yeah. So Amazon was very half and half. And all the, like, five-star reviews were very much like, I read this as a child, I loved it, blah, 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 blah. They were very me nothing out of the ordinary. So again, I've gone for a negative, And it goes, how the hell is this a literary classic? It's a tragic story for sure, but it is mind-numbing in how slowly the story progresses, which I suppose is part of the point. You, the reader, 
reader need to feel the ennui that the children do. As well as being pretty fantastical, it's also not particularly well written. And I chose that because it resonated the biggest with me. Yeah, it's not someone talking about the incest or the sex or whatever. They're just like, it's a bit boring. It's just a bit boring. There have been some of these books that we've read and we've gone, you know what, that's really enticed me to read more. Virginia Andrews, I think I'm done with you. I'm going to be honest. Not for me. She's not a Jilly or a Jackie. She's not a Jilly, no. she's not a Jackie, she's not a James Lear. Not for me. Not for me. But if it's a book that you've read and you have some opinions on, please share with us because I would be really yeah. interested. If you read it in the 80s as well. Yeah. Or if you have seen both the films and know which one's better, let us know so which one we can watch. Yes, please. Which one has the least incest in it. And if you have any other books that you want us to read, tell us what book was your Flowers in the Attic? What book got you mm. all awakened and aroused when you were a teenager where was your sexual awakening absolutely yeah. we'd love to get recommendations we'd love to hear your feedback on the books that we're reading so if you have got any thoughts on this one please let us know on twitter we are at lit gag pod on instagram it's at literally gagging pod literally gagging podcast on facebook and literally gagging pod at gmail.com yeah let us know please rate review and subscribe you can do that anywhere you listen to podcasts tell your friends about us tell your mum about us fuck it tell your nan about us she might like it next week's book is very exciting because we're going to be reading our first mills and boone which will be the matchmaker and the duke by anne lethbridge as ever this has been an absolute pleasure stay safe and wash your hands if you can have a wank please don't wank to this book it doesn't deserve it no don't wank to this hopefully book. next week's book will be a bit more fun i think that's what we're aiming for yes isn't it? very much a fun book yes yeah. stay safe stay clean stay alert all right we'll catch you next week bye Bye, babe. a big thank you to bobby bates for doing all of our artwork and our logo and everything to bethany southworth for our jingle and the other incidental music is from kevin mcleod of incompetech the king of royalty free jams and savior of media to students the world over